Hello, what's going on everyone? I'm John Hasselbauer, golf writer for thelines.com. You can find me at PGA Tout on Twitter. And in this video, we'll be talking about the 2023 British Open at Royal Liverpool. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on both the Barbasol where we hit Vincent Norman, um, as well as some takeaways from the Scottish Open last week. Um, I'm recording this on Monday night on Tuesday, tomorrow. Uh, we'll be releasing this, which is a preview video by and large for the British Open, but we'll also be um, releasing a video from the Brain Trust of Golf Minds at thelines.com. That is myself, Stephen Andrus, and Matt Brown will be going through in-depth, a very thorough breakdown of the course at, uh, at Royal Liverpool our favorite bets, how we think the course is going to play, not just outrights, but some props that we like. Um, always a good discussion. We we try to do that at every major, that little round table discussion. So you're not just hearing from me uh, the entire video. So I'm very excited to record that. It's always a fun video. Um, and that will be coming out on Tuesday as well. So because we're spending so much time in that video going through bets and everything from a betting perspective, I want to make this video a little bit more focused on a preview of the course um, so that you can make your own betting decisions, of course, uh, but really set you up for anything, whether it be your bets, your DFS approach, or uh, pools. Pools is a big uh, thing that comes up, obviously, every every major. I've already got my 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 inbox um, flooding with, with pool invites, and, and that's where I've made uh, a lot of my returns uh, in the golf season is just capitalizing on the low-hanging fruit popular guys. Um, for pools. So I think this uh, this video should be pretty interchangeable for any way you want to get exposure to the Open. Um, but let's just quickly, you know, do a state of the union in golf of what everything that happened last week. We had two golf tournaments. Um, obviously, the primary was the Scottish Open. Um, I completely mismanaged my time on the Scottish Open. I stayed up late on Saturday night to finish my um, open championship preview. And uh, by the time I had finished the preview, the golf had already begun. So I basically pulled an all-nighter and took like a two-hour nap on, on Saturday. So I, what I should have done is gone to bed early, woken up early on a Sunday morning to catch everything very coherently. Um, but I was very groggy watching uh, Roy McIlroy ultimately finish it off. I took a nap um, while Robert McIntyre went um, sort of sort of this way, and our Tyrrell Hatton bet went this way. Um, but in the end, I, I think the best links golf players kind of rose to the top. Um, kind of Roy McIlroy playing spoiler in an interesting um, juxtaposition from what happened with uh, Fleetwood trying to win. Uh, the Canadian Open against um, against Nick Taylor. The Scottish Open was, you know, almost a perfect fairy tale situation for Robert McIntyre, who's done everything in Scotland at a at his such young age. Um, aside from winning the Scottish Open, so it seemed like that might have been a fairy tale ending. And then Roy played spoiler with a birdie birdie finish. Um, that's gonna be, I think. Good news from a betting perspective for everybody at the Open because Rory was already the favorite and his odds dipped from essentially co-favorite at like plus 750, 8 to 1 to now closer to like 6, 6.5 to 1. So 
when the favorites odds get shorter, that usually means the rest of the board uh, gets better odds. And I think uh, when we get to that, we'll, we'll sort of talk through the collateral damage that happens when you have Rory and Scotty soaking up so much of the win equity. Um, for the Barbersaw, I don't want to talk really that much about it, but we did hit Vincent Norman. That is the second, uh, we're, we're two for three on opposite field events, also hitting, uh, Matt Wallace at the Corrales. So I don't know what it is. Uh, I guess generally speaking, when you get to opposite field events, the, the depth of the field is much less, which concentrates even smaller, the number of players who are actually capable of winning a tournament. Uh, even Norman, who went on to win, did everything he could to give it away. Um, so, you know, feels like we have some house money going into this week. I didn't really know too much about Vincent Norman um, before last week, beyond just that he hits the ball far and can make a bunch of putts. And that's exactly what he did uh, in Kentucky last week. So we'll take it. And because the opposite field events are treating us well, I do have a full a Barracuda uh, betting card that will be uh, in my final bets article on Wednesday. Uh, but okay, that was last week. Let's now spend, let's say, 10 minutes uh, going through everything you need to know about the British Open at Royal Liverpool, aka Hoylake. Um, I have on my screen now my preview article that is linked in the description of this video. Um, and I spent a lot of time on this article, really diving in. Whenever we get a new course, I really take a lot of extra time, background, watching videos, watching flyovers, uh, listening to players, listening to staff about how they want the course to play, kind of gleaning what we know from the past and how it will play. Um, so I think just to start with, um, let's start with the field at a glance first. Um, really competitive field. It is 156 players. The cut is top 70 and ties. Um, so we will see just under half of the field uh, make it through to the weekend, which means a better chance for chasers, I think, is the main takeaway there. Um, you have the top 50 OWGR automatically qualify. Um, there are spots reserved for the top DP World Tour players. And there is also open qualifying where players like uh, Brandon Grace and uh, Charles Schwartzel from the Live Tour were able to uh, get themselves in outside of World Golf ranking qualifications. Um, it is one of the most uh, densely contested fields. Uh, everybody in the top 60 of the world is here with the exception of Will Zalatoris, who is injured. Uh, and unfortunately, Tiger Woods is not here this week. This would have actually been a really appealing week to bet on Tiger Woods, uh, obviously the 2006 champ and a very flat golf course, which is very walkable. Um, and, and you know, a course that he could have really like strategized around. So it's a shame he's not healthy enough to play, but, um, hopefully he's taking the time to recover. We could see him at the open next year. Uh, also have the list of alternates listed here. So Cam Davis is your first man up, uh, followed by Hadwin, uh, Matt Kuchar, Mito Pereira and Keith Mitchell. Um, I actually have a bet on Keith Mitchell at the Barracuda and he is there this week. So I, I'm pretty sure he has committed, um, to the fact that he's the fifth alternate and it's Monday and, and that's probably not going to change. So probably won't see Keith Mitchell this week. I'm wishing him the best in his preparation for the Barracuda championship. Um, otherwise let's see past, uh, winners of the open championship, obviously Rory 
was the winner here in 2014. That was the last time that we came to these grounds. So a lot of talk about Rory whenever you won the most recent tour event and the event that was most recently played at this course, you are going to be a popular uh, subject or topic of conversation. He did opt to skip his media responsibilities this week. So you may not hear about how he's uh, preparing, but I think suffice to say he stacks up well uh, to chase his first major win since 2014 when he last won here. Um, in addition to Rory, some other like top contenders who have won at the Open include Kim Smith, who won last year on a extremely generous off the tee course, which is in many ways the polar opposite of what we will see this week. I don't love Cam Smith's uh, fit here, and uh, anybody who has an unreliable driver, uh, I think is going to get exposed at Hoylake. Uh, we'll we'll d- touch on that a little bit further as we go on. But Colin Morikawa is also here. Um, if conditions are down, he's somebody who can basically pull off the same game plan he brought to Royal St. George's in 2021. So somebody to keep an eye out depending on the weather. Uh, Shane Lowry is amongst the favorites. Jordan Spieth amongst the favorites. Um, Louis Oosthuizen is, is an interesting name because um, if we were playing this course two years ago, I would I would definitely have a bet on him and say that he... Uh, is the ideal fit for a course like this that's just hit fairways and hit long irons accurately um, and lag putt well. Those are all things that uh, Louis Ustazen has always done throughout his career. Unfortunately, since he has joined Liv, uh, he's completely fallen off a cliff and he's not contending uh, on Liv. Um, so I, he will probably be a fade for me this week with somebody who in general um, has lined up well on links courses. Uh, okay, so now let's go from the field to uh, an introduction to Liverpool Golf Club itself, Royal Liverpool, I should say. Um, you can make plenty of Beatles references. Liverpool, obviously, you know, close to where the Beatles made their hay, um, which is probably very topical three uh, Open Championships ago. Uh, we've only been here twice since 1967. Tiger won in 2006. Rory won in 2014. Uh, so a little odd that it's been basically three tournaments in 50 years. Um, but I would say cliff notes on Royal Liverpool. It's not a visually stunning go- or it's not a, a challenging course to the eye. It actually is a pretty nice visual because it has the shoreline uh, and the water in the background. But there's nothing architecturally about this course that makes it look dramatic or in your face flashy at all it's a very flat piece of land used to be a horse racing track so it's not this uh wild topography of a rolling landscape it's really flat fairways um some nuance to the greens but in general uh compared to many other links courses a pretty flat green um not a course like in augusta or kapalua for example where you're gonna see uneven Fairway lies, um, I think you'll get some pretty true bounces. If you hit the fairway, it's going to land and bounce the way it's supposed to. Um, The course gets its defense from the elements. So there is nothing stopping the wind here. Um, At the Scottish Open last week, if if you watch closely, you probably noticed there's a lot more trees uh, than you may be used to seeing on a links course, and that's going to take the element of wind out of it a little bit. If you can hit a low-flighted ball, you can keep it below the tree line and have your ball not affected so much by the wind. So 
Um, that is not the case here. You can't hide from the wind. If it's blowing at all, you're going to feel it. Uh, on most weeks on the PGA Tour, as an example, if you see 5 to 10 miles an hour of wind, you would just chalk that off as negligible and say that the wind's not really going to affect this course, uh, whether it be the trees that block it or the grandstands that get put up. Um, it's really not something that's going to drastically affect the tournament. Here, you're going to feel 5 to 10 miles an hour of wind a lot more than you typically would on a given PGA Tour event just because it's completely unimpeded. So there's going to be a lot of math that you need to do. I think you need to really lean on an experienced caddy who's played Lynx golf, who knows the area to do that math and understand depending on what, which direction the wind is coming from, not only what club do you want to hit, say on your tee shot, uh, but what club you want to hit on your next two shots. If you, if, if you have this prevailing wind and the pin is in a, a position where you can't hit it if you're on the right side of the fairway with the way that the wind's blowing. These are all calculations that you need to do your homework on. Um, and I think that's why we see a little bit of stickiness with Lynx golf in general. A lot of guys who know how to manage their distances and control their ball and hit a flighted tee shot are going to have success here. Um, and I think that will be repeatable, maybe not necessarily from St. Andrews, because that was definitely an extreme anomaly of links golf where it kind of took precision off the tee out of play the widest fairways we see in all of golf um, but pr take pretty much any example um, of any year prior to the to st andrews uh, and you'll see a similar emphasis on demanding tee shots needing um, precision off the tee hitting flighted i'm really looking forward to just a straight ball flight preferably a draw to even you know pierce through the wind further. I think generally these fades tend to get swept through uh, by the wind. So anybody who relies on a stock fade or hits a big swooping fade, uh, I think that could be a big problem here. Um, the other thing that I just notice about this course in general is like creativity and shot making is usually something that's a big buzzword in Lynx golf. It's why Jordan Spieth has such a, a renowned history on Lynx Golf, how he won at Royal Birkdale in 2017. Um, just using that short, sort of like escape, escapability from, uh, from hazards, um, pulling off really unique shots, uh, hitting blind shots over sand dunes and stuff like that. Uh, none of that is really applicable here. That You're going to get a true lie in the fairway. You're going to probably be able to Texas wedge putt from any greenside surrounding areas. Uh, obviously, there are like gorse and fescue, and pot bunkers that if you hit those hazards, you're going to have to punch out. Um, there's also internal out of bounds, which is going to be a big topic of conversation this this week. Um, but these are all hazards where you just you know that they're there, and if you just aim away from them, and you can pull off a I can't miss right on this hole, so let's let's hit a shot that we definitely won't miss right. Uh, guys who can execute that sort of game plan are going to do the best here, I think, and that goes for tee shots and also approaches. Uh, there's going to be different pin locations on these large greens where if they tuck it on the right side and the wind is blowing to the right, you don't want to go anywhere near that pin. So you're going to play a little bit more conservatively. Um, again, strategy, experience, a good caddy. These are all very important things this week. I, I think this might be one of the most important weeks of the year to have an experienced and knowledgeable caddy. Um, just because you're doing so much math uh, with wind calculations, air density, um, 
landing zones within the greens. Uh, there's different undulations and different levels of the greens that you need to be cognizant of. There's runoffs um, that are just absolute no's that you can't go near. There's pot bunkers that are stroke penalties near the near the, the greens as well. So uh, just understanding where not to miss, playing conservatively. Um, I don't think you have to be crazy aggressive on this golf course. I think if I had to guess, I would say 12 under par is a realistic total to win this week. And uh, just in general, I think there's a lot more bite to this course uh, than it may look on paper. So uh, then just going into a breakdown of the course, I think that's a good seg segue. So it is 7,383 uh, yards as a par 71. In uh, 2014, the last time we were here, this was a par 72. They converted the 10th hole from a very easy and scorable par 5, uh, reachable in 2, to a very difficult and long par 4. Um, and uh, you know something that is always interesting when you convert a 5 to a 4 uh, is that the greens are intended to be trickier, uh, to be the challenge of that hole. Um, so now you're talking about a very long par 4, that players are going to be hitting 250 yard shots into um, because there's sort of a forced uh, – you can't hit it farther than 350 yards on your tee shot. Uh, there's a forced layup before that. So you are basically being forced to hit probably a 200-yard approach for everybody in the field um, into a small green that's protected by bunkers with out-of-bounds on the left. So 10th hole – went from one of the easiest places to get a birdie to an actual, like you're leaving with par and feeling pretty good about yourself. So, uh, I, I think the, the fourth and the fifth hole are easy birdie holes or the easiest opportunities to score. One is a borderline drivable par four and one is a very reachable and short par five. Other than that, I think the players are really going to have to work to score on this course. There's seven par fours over 450 yards uh, there's two par fives over uh, over 600 yards that, unless there's a helping win, are not going to be reachable in uh, in two. And be, you're just going to have to hit two really good shots in order to get a birdie on those. Um, and then everything in between, it, that's you're talking about like par threes that are no gimme par threes and some 400 to 450 yard par fours. You're going to have to hit two good shots, and it depends on where the pin is, but... I wouldn't really call any of those besides the two I mentioned on the front nine to be gimme birdies. So uh, if you're shooting three under each day, I think you can win on, on a par 71 course like this. Um, obviously with the internal out of bounds in play on a lot of these holes, there's going to be a lot of potential blowups, uh, double bogey avoidance, bogey avoidance are, are, are key stats that I'm looking for this week to understand the players who are the best at mitigating uh, their misses. Uh, so the last piece I want to touch on, since you know, we'll we'll go into uh, my bets and and everything um, in the in the Megapod video that I do with Matt and Stephen. Uh, but the last thing I want to touch on in this preview video is, is just the key stats that I landed on. So I started with bogey avoidance and double bogey avoidance. That's going to tell you who's who understands where the hazards are and doesn't hit it to them. Uh, I think that's a really important stat this week. That's you know. Uh, it might go without saying, but that's a stat that I'm actually kind of putting the most um, emphasis on because I think conservative play is going to take you pretty far, especially for value players who may not be able to win 
uh, but can out, you know, perform their expectation. Bogey avoidance, double bogey avoidance is something that I'm leaning pretty heavily on. Um, strokes gain off the tee. If I could pick one characteristic to, you know, perform well on this course, I think being an elite total driver above average in accuracy and driving distance is the most crucial stat. Um, that's going to allow you to kind of cut off certain angles on this course. It's going to allow you to confidently take on a lot of like dangerous internal out of bounds that come into play on six of these holes. Um, and it's going to give you shorter irons in, in windy conditions, which I think is crucial. Um, if you're hitting a 200 yard shot consistently, um, uh, into high winds and firm greens, which is going to be the case if you're laying up off the tee, it's going to be really hard to score that way. But if you're taking the risk on, on your tee shots and you're avoiding the hazards and all of a sudden you have 150 in, uh, on a bunch of these approach shots. Now we're talking about generating birdie opportunities where other players in the field cannot. Um, so I think stroke skin off the tee is going to be crucial if we look back on this at the end of the week. I expect to see the best off the tee players to rise to the top. I'm putting a, a small layer of off the tee on, on shorter courses just in case the, the course firms up and there are some opportunities to hit these layup shots. I want a little piece of that, but in general, I think total driving is the most important. Uh, approach always important and proximity from 200 plus will come into play a lot with so many 450 plus holes. Um, most of the part threes are over 200 yards and all of the par fives will require, uh, accurate long iron. So I think that's very crucial this week. Uh, we talked about par four and par five scoring, uh, scrambling around the green, always important in links golf. Putting is something I think I'll put more emphasis on this week than most. Um, total over the last 36 rounds, slow greens, always a defining characteristic of links golf. And then three putt avoidance is always something I look for on, uh, large greens, which we definitely have in store this week. Uh, and then just to round it out, uh, strokes gain total in high winds, um, super, super important this week. I'm looking at, uh, the PJ championship at Kiowa Island. I think that's an important, uh, comp course for this week. I think you could look at the Mexico open. Although not, not a lot of great players played there, but that was a, a high wind coastal event. Um, so just anywhere where wind is affecting not only tee shots, but putting, that's something that I want to reference for this week. Um, and then major championship history over the last five years, players who can anecdotally handle the pressure uh, of some just high intensity tee shots uh, down the stretch of this course. I think that's huge. Uh, this week, uh, this does not strike me as the type of course that we're going to see a random first time major winner. Um, so my bold take of, of the week, if it's bold enough, would be that whoever wins this week will uh, not win their first ever major like a win of Clark might have pulled off at the U.S. Open. Um, and then course and comp course history is my last one. That's just to factor in any Lynx golf performance, but also performance on courses on the PGA Tour that kind of play Lynxy. Um, PGA's, uh, sorry, the, the Players Championship at TPC Sawgrass is the best example I can find of a wind affected course with many hazards close to the fairways that require a mix of layups and drivers off the tee. We've seen a player like a Bryson DeChambeau, for example, find success as a long hitter who knows when to hit driver and when to lay back. Uh, but we've also seen plotters like a Webb Simpson go on to have success and win there. So uh, that's the type of course that I think we'll see some overlapping leaderboards uh, from. And one I'm definitely taking into close consideration uh, when I put my player pool together. 
Uh, okay, so I think we will we'll cut it off right there. This is typically when I would get into my betting card, to be completely honest. It's Monday night, and I've only gotten halfway through it because there are so many more uh, details that I want to dig into related to the weather. So I'm keeping a close eye on how firm the course is playing. Is it getting sunlight? Is it drying up? Is it getting uh, rain? Because the more wetness and more rain that we get in the forecast, the more I'm going to lean towards the better drivers. The firmer it gets, the more I think it opens it up to shorter hitters who can roll out a, sort of a layup off the tee, a driving iron. Um, if it's soft, I don't think we'll see as many driving irons. Um, so that's one. And then the wind, obviously. Uh, if we get a ton of wind, I think that opens it up to a little bit more randomness, but obviously puts more of a emphasis on around the green than approach play. So for now, wind is going to be tough to project. I don't think we get, I don't think it's possible for it to be completely calm with where we are geographically, uh, but it could be really nasty. Um, and if it is, then I think that sets us up for a little carnage and a little bit more randomness. Um, so those are the two things I'm looking out for. Um, so make sure you, you check out the Megapod video uh, with myself, Matt, and Steven, which will be out on Tuesday. So you can get all of our analysis and my outright bets for the British Open. Uh, until then, best of luck with all of your British Open bets.